Gathering in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin. to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. Off we go. It's the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live on a hump day. It's Wednesday. And uh, always great to join you. My name is Chris Wynn. I'm in for T.C. Martin today because T.C. has some action going on in Arizona as Game 4 of the WNBA semifinals goes down. The Las Vegas Aces trail the Phoenix Mercury two games to one in that five-game series. So the Aces are up against it. It's a big-time game tonight. T.C. Martin will be on the call. You can check that out later down the dial on ESPN Radio here in Las Vegas as T.C. Martin has the play-by-play, but uh, the Aces, you know, there's there's no room for error whatsoever, and it was has not been a good showing for the hometown ladies the last couple of games as basically a couple of double-digit blowouts in the matchups against Phoenix. This is an Aces team. We Look, we expected it. We expected them to be one of those teams contending for a WNBA title, and right now it's going to be all on the line in game four tonight. Hopefully they get it done. And then they have an opportunity to come back here to the Michelob Ultra Arena and play a game five in that series. So TC out today. He'll be out tomorrow as well, too, because he'll be en route back to Las Vegas from Arizona. So I'll have an opportunity to join you as well, too. It's always great to have you out there listening, folks. You can join us, too, on the phone lines, too. 702-221-7283 is the phone number. All kinds of news across the board. We've got Major League Baseball, wild card action. We'll recap what went down last night up in Boston at Fenway Park as the Red Sox just drubbed the New York Yankees in the wild card playoff with an opportunity to get a chance to play in the series against the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League playoffs. So Boston moves on after a pretty explosive offensive game for the Red Sox and an impressive pitching performance from Nathan Navaldi and Boston. As the uh, Red Sox, uh, the Yankees just could not get anything going offensively. A couple of, you know, a couple of uh, a home run, obviously, late in the game for New York, and they were able to get a run early on. But it just was, it was just tough sledding for the Bronx Bombers as the Red Sox move on and uh, will play the Rays now in the uh, American League playoffs. And then a big game tonight. Los Angeles is the site as the Dodgers and the Cardinals will go at it in the wildcard game in the National League for the right to play the San Francisco Giants in the next round in the series. And you've got Max Scherzer on the mound going against Adam Wainwright. Quality pitching matchup in the National League wildcard game as well, too. We all understand this is a Los Angeles Dodgers team. A ton of wins this year. 105 wins. And uh, what do you get for it? Well, you get a chance to play in a essentially one-game do-or-die in the NL playoffs to advance on and continue to hit the diamond. So should be an exciting game tonight. The Cardinals, one of the, is, are the hottest team in baseball, have been tremendous throughout uh, the later part of the season. So it's going to be an exciting matchup there and a pitching matchup that's classic as well, too. So we'll see who gets it done, whether it's the Cardinals or Dodgers tonight in that matchup. But there's been a ton of news around the National Football League as of the last, what, 24 hours. And uh, it really centers around the what, it centered around on Sunday night, right? The game that was most anticipated when you had that Patriots-Tampa Bay Buccaneers game that went down on Sunday night football. Obviously, Tom Brady returning to Foxborough for the first time ever as an opponent, as a signal caller. But uh, the news, of course, out of New England, Stephon Gilmore, one of the better cornerbacks in football in the last decade, is on the way out of New England as the Patriots have traded him to the Carolina Panthers for a 2023 sixth-round draft pick. Look, this isn't you know some guy that's just barely making the roster. We're talking about Stephon Gilmore, a guy who's been a star cornerback, a multi-time All-Pro, defensive player of the year as recently as you know six, seven years ago. A guy, you know, obviously there's been some financial difficulties regarding the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore. 
This is a team that's up against it when it comes to the. I mean, their salary cap. I believe that they're just under sixty thousand. They have free on the, on the salary cap, so it was a big reason why they needed to move him. And they initially planned to release him on Wednesday or today, I should say. Uh, but a source told uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter, you know, ultimately they, they end up trading him and getting something for the four-time Pro Bowler. So Gilmore and uh, Bill Belichick, the Patriots head coach, both you know offered public goodbyes prior to the announced trade, and Gilmore was. Well, it was classy about it, right? Gilmore talked about his appreciation for working with the Patriots, his appreciation for the fans, his time there. Look, he won super. He won a Super Bowl there. He, you know, obviously, uh, you know, he played in, also in ball, uh, in Buffalo as well too. But you know, the lion's share of his career has been in New England, and he's been a key cog there on that defense. But he thanked obviously Robert Kraft. He thanked the coaches. He thanked the organization for providing you know the platform and allowing him allowing him to be. Uh, to achieve his greatness is is the way that he basically put it, and he moves on. So Carolina Panthers, it's a nice pickup for them. Uh, nice pickup getting the likes of Sam Darnold in the offseason, obviously, at the quarterback position, and now you add a piece on defense for Carolina, a team that was undefeated up until this weekend until they went to Jerry's World and got beat by the Cowboys. So solid pickup for Carolina and a tough loss for the Patriots. Now, look, New England – is uh is one of those organizations, right? It's the Patriots. What do they do? Well, they just they they, you know they they apply the next man up mentality, and you you can expect that's exactly what they're going to do, moving forward. I don't think there's any illusions, right? That here in 2021, the Patriots are going to be a team in the AFC that's going to be really making any noise. So while it is obviously a difficult spot for the Patriots to be in as far as losing a, a quality player, the stature of Gilmore. It's not exactly a season where there, I, no, no one. I mean, call me crazy, right? I don't think anybody out there is saying, "Well, you know, I looked at the AFC and I looked at the likes of the Bills and the Chiefs and the Ravens and these other teams, and I don't think the Patriots are really in that mix to be a real Super Bowl contender." So, I'm not trying to make excuses for the Patriots. I'm just saying that you know, it's this is not something that was. Uh, I think it's going to be beneficial, especially from a financial standpoint, obviously down the road for the Patriots here in this situation. So Gilmore on the move to the Carolina Panthers. That was some, that was some big news as well, too. Obviously, you have uh, uh, another scenario that took place down in Jacksonville. Not so good for the Jaguars and their organization after the video surfaced, right, of their head coach, Urban Meyer, down there. Look, you always want to get off on the right foot regardless if you're a coach that's going from college to the NFL. You already face a number of obstacles, right, if you're Urban Meyer. And in Jacksonville, there's no shortage of issues. Yes, you got to be positive because you have a guy in Trevor Lawrence who could be, you know, a transcending quarterback, a guy who's a who's a generational type talent. But that being said, we all understand what the Jacksonville Jaguars have been this year. It hasn't been great on the field, okay? And you know, a guy like Trevor Lawrence is going to have growing pains, and so you don't really want to deal with this, right? This is not something. This is not something you want to have on your plate when there's a video surfacing of your head coach who is, you know, in in a watering hole somewhere with, you know, and the video essentially shows him with someone that's not his wife, and, you know, there's some sordid activity going on. You don't want any of that. And that's exactly what's taking place with Irvin Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars and their organization. Their owner, Mr. Khan, made a statement yesterday talking about how the organization is not pleased whatsoever with the scenario and that Urban Meyer is going to, in a position where now he needs to earn their trust back. And that was an indication to me and a lot of people out there, I'm sure, that Urban Meyer could be short-lived when it comes to Jacksonville, right? Like, short-lived meaning he could be gone in the next week. He could be gone, you know, before the season's even over. That's the kind of, you know, impression that I got when I heard the story and when I saw that went down with Urban Meyer. It was not exactly a situation where... You know, you had you had a coach that was on solid ground. Let's put it that way, okay? You 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 absolutely looked at it like, okay, Khan is kind of setting things up here, where he could absolutely pull the trigger and let him go. And while it would be mildly surprising, and it would it'd be, uh, I'm sure in Jacksonville, it would be initially a shock. It wouldn't be completely crazy, right? Because when you have your coach who's you know in a restaurant in Columbus, Ohio. And making decisions that are not good, okay? And look, we get it. You're, you, you know, you coach there at Ohio State. You have a history there. 
you want to go out and blow off some steam, whatever. But you also, when your team is in the situation it's in where it hasn't won a game, and you are where you're just you're just a bad team, and all your teammates and all of your coaching staff are flew flew back to Jacksonville, and instead you stay you decide to stay in Ohio and rip it up a little bit, and then you get caught in a video doing this. It's not good, right? So he did apologize again Wednesday, or t- today, I should say. Urban Meyer did. And he also said he never really considered uh, any type of resignation or anything, which, which I think would be understandable because he's going you know, to remain steadfast. You know, he's, look, he's a coach, and he's went there to, and I'm sure he's got a number of goals that he is looking to achieve as an NFL head coach. He wants to bump that stigma, right? The stigma that, oh, I'm a college coach, but I can't go to the NFL and and be successful, right? There's and because the list is long and distinguished of coaches that have tried to make the jump from college to the NFL and it has not worked. So Urban Meyer of course talks to his his owner. Apparently they had three or four conversations with uh with Shad and it, you know, the message is loud and clear. And he's, and he's quote unquote. Also, I met with the team on Monday individually, and then today as a group, had a very pointed conversation with them. Owning, you know, owning my stupid mistake that I made. A job of a coach is number one, health and safety of a players. Number two, to motivate them, bring out the greatness in them, and three, give them everything possible to be successful and give them a great locker room, and then get the heck out of the way. And what you're not supposed to do as a coach, right, is be a distraction, is be a guy that's going to be out there, you know. With a huge week coming up, and this is a team that they look. Even despite the fact they haven't had a ton of success, there are you know their motto really is they they want they've made they feel they've made a lot of improvement from week one to week four. So you want to continue to build on that, right? As far as the team on the field, the problem though is that with Urban Meyer, there is it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of confidence in that locker room in him, right? There has been sentiment across the board for the past four or five days. That's even slipped in the media that he's he is on the verge or has lost the locker room, and that the respect factor that was very little to begin with because he's a college coach coming in the NFL has even gone down even more, and so that makes it so tough for for a guy like that. And then you have the incident like this; it just compounds it. And so while we went into the NFL season, what did we talk about as far as dumpster fire locker rooms? One of them was, of course, the Houston Texans down there, given what was going on regarding Sean Watson and all that. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars are thought of as that team that, uh, you know, hey, what the heck is going on? And uh, how are you going to, you know, what are you going to do to to fix the situation? So we'll see how it all shakes out. Apparently, you know, for now, it appears Urban Meyer has avoided getting the axe from, uh, from Saad Khan there, uh, despite the fact that Khan had those public rebuke of uh, his actions. So, but uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, we'll see what goes down. I mean, this is, uh, again, you know, you have a, a, a guy who I think is going to be a great quarterback there in Trevor Lawrence. You know, you have some pieces there offensively. They brought in the likes of Marvin Jones and the wide receiving course solid. And even even though Travis Etienne's out for the season, they have they have some pieces at running back as well, too, obviously, with James Robinson. So uh, it's, it's an intriguing team. And it's not exactly, you know, look, they're not going to be any division threat there this season. But... Uh, but still, when you have a you know a guy that's that touted as a as a as a quarterback prospect and as a guy who could be a franchise guy, it's still going to be worth noting and taking a look at. Also in the NFL, you had the story out of Chicago as the Chicago Bear quarterback situation. It's been much talked about. Uh, they have the you know the three headed. I don't want to call it three headed monster because it's not really like that. But you got obviously Justin Fields and uh, Nick Foles as well as Andy Dalton in the mix. Well, Matt Nagy's made a commitment. And he said that uh, his quarterback's going to be Justin Fields moving forward. And uh, the change in the guard, a quarterback in Chicago, pretty much now complete. Look, obviously Andy Dalton was the guy going in. Then, you know, there's always been speculation about, well, can Nick Foles work his way into the mix? Guy's a Super Bowl MVP, has had his moments in the NFL. I think he's an NFL quarterback. Is he a starter or a backup? It can be debated. It depends on who you ask, I guess. That being said, Andy Dalton's injuries... And Andy Dalton's knees are are an issue. Apparently, he's back fine now, though. Apparently, he can play. So the Bears are making a decision, though. Hey, we're going with a young kid. Obviously, a horrendous start 
in his first outing as the Cleveland Browns just, you know, had a travel trove to the quarterback with nine sacks in that football game. So it was a rough go, to say the least, for Justin Fields in his first game. But last week he was decent. He didn't look. He didn't have a spectacular game against the Lions, but he was, again, it's the Detroit Lions. And as a Lions fan, I can, I can attest, you're not going to go off the rails with super-duper praise for Justin Fields against the likes of a Lions defense that doesn't have any NFL-caliber defensive backs, very few linebackers or defensive linemen that are healthy, that are NFL guys as well, too, and a Lions team that is going to be searching hard to get maybe two wins this season. But at the same time, it is the NFL, and the Bears were able to handle their business. Now... They're on tap to travel here to Las Vegas, Allegiant Stadium, on Sunday as they take on a 3-1 Raiders team. And and Justin Fields will be the guy behind center for Chicago. It's going to be intriguing this week, no question, to see this matchup between Vegas and Chicago because obviously the Raiders coming off the loss on Monday night to the L.A. Chargers at SoFi Stadium in front of a 70% Raider crowd there at SoFi. How nuts was that? Is Monday Night Football... You have a team that just got there like two years ago, and they're playing in a soccer stadium that's, that's you know, seated 30,000 or whatever. And you have the Raiders, which has Raider Nation. And look, we know the dynamic, right? Raider Nation across the Southwest, particularly California, monster following. Okay, so it, it, we understand that going into a situation like the Chargers have in LA, where it's, it, to me, I got to be honest, it's in Los Angeles. It's a Rams town now because the Rams are back there. But for all intents and purposes, it's been a Raider town every other time, right? And it's been a Raider town. The Raiders were there. The Raiders then went back to Oakland. But they still have a monster following all over California, right? And so, and all over the Southwest, to be quite honest with you. And, and look, Raider Nation is represented. There are those teams, right? The teams in the NFL, right, that have monster followings. Whether it's the Cowboys, whether it's the Raiders, the Pittsburgh Steelers I put in there as well, too. The Green Bay Packers, I put in there, as teams that, yes, they have their bases around the areas where they play, but they also have monster followings in other spots. And I particularly noticed that with the Steelers here in Vegas, because there are Steeler fans everywhere here, and Cowboy fans too. But a team like the Raiders, they're in that mix. I mean, and it's and it's kind of funny to say that because right, because they've relocated and they've been all over the place and they've done things left and right. This is a this is a Raider support. And fan support, that is unprecedented, right? And, and so to see Monday Night Football and a team that's trying to get their, 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 their base solidified there in L.A. and see what transpired there at SoFi Stadium. Brand, by the way, brand new stadium, too, with like 90,000-plus. And then you see all that silver and black and you know the black holes everywhere and the support. And you have the Chargers running out before the game, and you've got— you got to get a booed as they're running out of their home stadium on Monday Night Football. Not a great look if you're the if you're the Chargers. That being said, on the field, had to be impressed with the Chargers, right? Offensively, they're able to do some things. Justin Herbert, I think, is a quality quarterback. Is a guy you're going to start talking about as a top five quarterback in the NFL here moving forward. As the guys, and I say the elder states, elder statements, statement like the the thirty year old and older quarterbacks start to fade out, you know, the Matthew Staffords, those guys, uh, those types of quarterbacks. And you, you have the younger guard coming in, obviously, the, you know, Pat Mahomes and uh, the, the Josh Allens and Lamar Jacksons. Those guys are going to be, you know, you start talking about them as the top five guys. I think Justin Herbert's going to be one of those guys, right? And so it's great to have him. Obviously, Austin Eckler was impressive, a guy coming off an injury. Last year, he's been really good for them. And then you talk about Williams and you talk about Keenan Allen and the rest of that team. So, it was. Uh, it wasn't. Look, it wasn't. You can't say there's ever a good loss, right? <laughs> if you're the if you're the Raiders, but it wasn't an atrocious situation, okay? And look, John Gruden talked about it after the game. John Gruden was was like every other. Look, look, John Gruden has his own style, and NFL coaches are never going to sit back and after a loss and wax poetic, right, and say how great things were. But that being said, you know, and I'm sure Raider fans know that it wasn't a scenario where the sky is falling. By any stretch of the imagination, they lost a good team on the road, and they have some things to work on. And look, I think they can right the ship against the likes of Chicago Bears coming up on Sunday. But it's going to be fun to see because I want to see what this offense can do. I want to see more emergence of Darren Waller this season. Obviously, a breakout season a year ago 
but he hasn't necessarily had had huge games here in 2021. You've actually got a chance to see the running game kind of flex their muscles a little bit. Want to see Josh Jacobs? Josh Jacobs being healthy now is good for them. What do you think about this Raiders Bears game? Hit us up on the phone line 702-221-7283 with your thoughts and opinions here on the TC Martin Show on a Wednesday. A couple of great guests coming out today as well. See, we have Jesse Merrick for, from News Three here in Las Vegas. Does a tremendous job. Covers everything across the board from VGK to the Raiders to the Aces and uh, and college football as well too with UNLV. We're going to talk to Jesse, get his thoughts on what's transpired as VGK with a big-time win yesterday in a shootout up in at Ball Arena in Denver as the Golden Knights took on the Colorado Avalanche in preseason action. Just around the corner, folks. They're going to drop the puck for real next Tuesday against the Seattle Kraken. So we're looking forward to that. So we'll talk to Jesse at the bottom of this hour. And then next hour, we're going to be joined by SportsX radio host Ken Thompson, handicapper, tremendous sports talk host here in town. Always fun to talk to Ken whether it's college football, whether it's the Raiders, the silver and black. He represents big time for the Las Vegas Raiders and everything across the NFL and sports stories, period, when it comes to Ken. He's great. Uh, New Jersey native, but he's been out here in Vegas forever, and he's wired in when it comes to everything silver and black and sports across the board. So we're gonna join, he's going to join us in the second hour as well, too. But I'm looking forward to the matchup. It's going to be solid to see this uh, this Raiders Bears matchup because Justin Fields, you know, on the road going against a quality team and approved defense in the Raiders, right? Let's be straight about it. I mean, the defense was not good a year ago. It just wasn't. They couldn't stop anybody. And this year, they're absolutely improved. There's no question that they're improved, right? From, you know, Jason Hayward, Jason Hayward, I mean, Hayward in the uh, in the secondary has been solid. Mull, uh, you know, Trayvon Mullen's been good. Max Crosby, outstanding as well, too. Ken joins us here on the TC Martin. Ken, Ken, we appreciate the time. How are you, my friend? C-Win, man. What is up? Oh, my brother, I just had to get you off speaker there. How you doing, C-Win? I thought it was 335, man, so it's a good thing that uh, KT's ready to roll, man. If you check your text back, you'll see it says 335, but KT's ready to rock anytime for C-Win, who always spills inadvertently on my show. So, oh, no, I appreciate ready to rock it, and roll. Yeah, so we were just talking. Look, we are talking about uh, the, the situation coming up this weekend. Obviously, with the Chicago Bears, you're talking about a, a transition from the quarterback position, right? Look, Andy Dalton was supposed to be the guy. It was just kind of like get, you know, get things settled as far as the Bears were concerned getting, going into the season. And now it's kind of like shifted a little bit, and it's almost like a speedy process, right? Where like, okay, Justin Fields, we're going to roll with him. We're going to, you know, Matt Nagy and the powers that be there in Chicago decided that he's going to be the guy. Obviously, pretty pretty uh, solid performance from Justin Fields and the Bears last week against Detroit. But now you have to go on the road against a team that is absolutely, you know, not not happy whatsoever because you're coming off a loss against the Chargers and you got to face, you know, a much improved Raider defense. Your thoughts about uh, the situation coming up this weekend here at Allegiant as the Bears come to town with Justin Fields as the signal caller for the guys from the Windy City? Yeah, and I think you'll see in Vegas, Chris, probably the first time you'll see a good contingency from the opposing team's fans, because you and I know how many people we know from the Chuck Edo, Chicago Bills, all these jokers that got sick of the snow like you did in Michigan, and uh, you move out west. So there's a ton of Bears fans, and although there's a lot of football fans that may be on the fence or maybe didn't have a team, and so their allegiance to the Raiders, especially at Allegiant Stadium, would be uh, you know imperative down the line, but there's Chicago Bear fans are traditional fans, and they are not going to give up their allegiance there to those Bears. So they are going to be there. They will be there in numbers, and they will pay handsome prices for those Raiders tickets. Raiders coming off the loss, so you may see some season ticket holders, you know, foregoing this game and and, uh, and selling their tickets, which, you know, I don't advise to do. I think the Raiders, even though off the short week, they showed me something in the second half, really in the third quarter, because they were getting pummeled. They were, I mean, they had 53 yards of penalties and only 51 yards of offense at halftime. So it was an absolute joke. But down 21 nothing, they showed some character, cut it to 21-14. And realistically, they were in positive side of the territory. They're trying to, you know, get that tying touchdown. Had they gotten that, I really think they had a great chance to win the game. They didn't. They settled for a field goal, and Carlson, who's so consistent, ends up missing the long field goal. And uh, so instead of 21-17, was 21-14. Chargers then put it together. And as bad as Herbert was uh, in the third quarter, he was special in the fourth quarter to close the game out. 
and, uh, you know, the Chargers, they deserve the game. Overall, they deserve the game. So I think a good eye-opener and a wake-up call for the Raiders. Look, you're 3-0 and going into the game. You had two overtime victories. You're not as good as your record, but you still potentially could be and should be a postseason team if you can get through injuries and, uh, you know, get on a roll. So I really think it's imperative for the Raiders to win this game, win the next one uh, in Denver, if at all possible, but then beat Philly right before the bye. If they can take two out of three before the bye and be sitting at five and two after seven weeks, they'll be okay. But this is a major game for them, especially because Chicago, like you said, comes off the win against Detroit. They made fields their guy now, so there's not going to be any controversy in that locker room. They're going to go forward and say, hey, let's go and uh, see what we can do now that we know the kid's our quarterback. The advantage to me is the Raiders. I mean, they've got to get pressure, and if Crosby and those guys can get pressure on fields, he's still young. He's still reading pro defenses. Gus Bradley, he made some adjustments at halftime that were pretty good in the Charger game, and I expect him to have a good game plan going into this game and slow down Chicago, who's going to be, of course, without David Montgomery. He's a SportsX radio host. Ken Thompson joining us here on the T.C. Martin Show. Does a tremendous job. Tune in to him every weekday, 8 to 10 p.m. Outstanding show from the storytelling, from the sports information, and they look, they break down the games. You guys do everything over there. Outstanding. You brought up Montgomery, of course. Bears appear to have dodged a bullet, right? Because there was a thought that Montgomery might have torn his ACL. It appears now he's going to be out four to five weeks after having a solid game, by the way, again the Lions last week. So they're going to obviously you going into this game against the Raiders a little bit short-handed offensively, but I want to ask you about the Raiders offense, right? Because this is a Raiders offense that's going to be we're going to be interested to see exactly what goes down. You see Josh Jacobs back right from the injury. We're going to try to get him more involved in the offense. John Gruden talked about some of the things that he wants to do. Your thoughts on this Raiders offense going in this matchup against the Bears defense? Yeah, so Peyton Barber's out for a little bit. And Jacobs is a guy that had the great rookie season, struggled a little bit last year. And I think, you know, part of that was play calling and part of that was, you know, the offensive line just didn't do their job as far as for the run. And as good as Rodney Hudson was, who got dealt to at uh, Arizona, you know, he's solid against the pass, you know, as far as the pass protection, but he wasn't doing his job as far as opening up holes uh, run-wise. Sometimes I think the Raiders are so predictable on offense. I mean, if they do go out and throw the ball on first down, try and stretch the field a little bit, if it's incomplete, they'll come back and you can expect a conservative call on second down. I don't like that. My mentality is, look, if you're going to throw the ball on first down and it's incomplete, screw it, man. Go two more times, throw the ball. You need one 10-yard completion and three downs to get that first down. And so many teams do that throughout history of football, if they go to say, hey, let's surprise them on first down, let's throw the ball, let's even go over the top, throw it deep. If it's incomplete, they come right back with a conservative run call to Jacobs, gain a two, all of a sudden you're third and eight, you're in, you know, you're in bad position there. And the Raiders are in bad position too often as far as I'm concerned, and they shouldn't be. Derek Carr, to me, needs to be much more active on first down and, and set the Raiders up with second and two, second and three. That's manageable, and that will keep opposing defenses off balance because you don't know if they're going to run or if they're going to pass. So I like to use the guy out of the backfield you know, with little flare passes more so than just a straight handoff, although Jacobs is solid. And when he's running and when the offensive line is opening up holes, the guy's solid. But let's look at what we've got. We've got a makeshift offensive line with a right tackle in Alex Leatherwood, whose ceiling is high. He's probably going to be good. But you saw, you know, a bunch of penalties on the Monday night game. Look, the kid's still learning, and, you know, he's a rookie. And then you've got Illuminor right next to him, right guard. Didn't expect him to be there. James and Martin, we expected there at center. John Simpson's in their left guard because Richie Incognito has not gotten back on the field. So really the only mainstay is Colton Miller at left tackle. You're okay there because he's good. Uh, Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs the third to me. They've done their job. They've improved. Hunter Renfro, you know, a couple drops. But this guy's head's always in the game. Came up with the touchdown and came up with the key special teams play on that tackle. So, I mean, guys got to step up. They've got to get the lead. They've got to get their car outside the tackle box. I'm not saying roll out and just take off and run. But get him outside the tackle box. Give him that run-pass option. Or where once he's outside the tackle box, he can throw the ball to the line of scrimmage. Even if he throws it 40 yards out of bounds, doesn't matter. Once you're outside that tackle box, you've got to put yourself in that position because Derek Carr's weakness over the years, Chris, and you know it and I know it, is he doesn't feel the blind side. And it's frustrating because you see the pocket collapse. And anytime there's pressure that comes up the middle, you see him just, you know, most of the time just kind of go down. Like, I give, I give. Well, I don't like that mentality. I want to see Derek Carr do what he did last year. Last year, he showed me some toughness and some grit. I know you don't have Mariota right now healthy to back him up, so it's Peterman's the guy. But at the end of the day, 
see Darryl Moore passing the ball for a few weeks. He was unbelievable, but I want to see him use his athleticism, athleticism to get tackle box. Ken Thompson joining us here live. Ken, we talked some silver and blacks and Las Vegas Raiders getting set for week five coming up this weekend as they're at Allegiant Stadium at home taking on the Chicago Bears. I had to get your take, KT, on what went down on Monday night from a fan standpoint, right? Because we looked at a brand spanking new stadium there in Los Angeles. SoFi, great facility, outstanding. Had the strange, of course, you know, lightning delay before the game and everything that went down. But I had to get your thoughts on, look, Raider Nation represented. You had the Chargers going out there, you know, getting booed. In the you know pregame introductions, it was it was it was just a strange scenario. As someone who's a Lions fan, and uh, you know it and it doesn't have a dog in the fight. Uh, how about that uh, whole scenario that broke down in Los Angeles on Monday night? Yeah, and you know what, the Charger fans that were there though, they were passionate. They made some noise. Yeah, I'd say probably eighty percent Raider fans, and I may be underestimating that. I knew a lot of friends and fans that were going to be there. Uh, you know, the LA Raiders were there for fourteen years, so. Yeah, those fans are passionate. It's in L.A. City, and that's why Kroenke, the Rams owner, did not want the Raiders to be that second tenant tenant there in SoFi. He was okay with the Chargers, especially relocating from San Diego, because he knew it would L.A. would be a Rams town as opposed for those two teams. But if it's the Raiders that were in L.A., and a lot of folks speculated they would go, they would be, you know, definitely would have taken that spot as the second team to share SoFi with the Rams, but the Rams just didn't want to do it. So uh, Chargers up against it, but look at what happens now. You've got a young quarterback that's turning heads that, you know, you see and say, wow, this team's going to be a solid franchise. So they're gaining the fans, fans that aren't Rams fans that are going to uh, migrate to the, they're going to migrate to the Chargers in that, in that offense. You know, Keenan Allen and then Mike Williams. I mean, they've got players, Austin Eckler. So the defense, too, you know, they did their job. And that was the problem for the Raiders. That's where, you know, the Raiders have trouble against teams that apply pressure. Joey Bosa and the guys got that constant pressure up the middle from the outside. And so that's where, for me, if the Raiders have that one-two punch with Mariota, not starting, not taking Derek's job away, but in key situations where there are run-pass option potential plays get him in there he's got to come back from the quad he played one play opening week runs for 31 yards and then he tweaks the quad so you know he's out but the Chargers got to be weary this week too because Cleveland has a big time fan base in LA Chris I lived in LA Mm -hmm. there was a bar called Apples there that was a Cleveland Browns bar I'm telling you man that place there's a ton of transplants from Ohio and as good as this Browns team and that's the team I picked to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC I mean this team is legit and if Mayfield can just stay consistent. Remember, they're without Landry right now. Beckham Jr.'s banged up. Once they get their full complement on offense, that defense is as good as it gets. And Minnesota found that out at home last week. Yeah, the fan dynamic's been a little strange, right, in L.A. for the Chargers in the last couple seasons they've been there. Obviously playing in the soccer stadium. We saw what went down when the Pittsburgh Steelers went there. And, you know, the Steeler fan base, I talked about it before we had you on. You know, there's certain teams in the NFL that just have monstrous fan bases across the country, right? Whether it's the Raiders, whether it's the Cowboys, whether it's the Steelers, whether it's, you know what I mean, the Packers. I mean, there's just there's just a certain dynamic. And that took place when they were playing in that, that what whatever it was, what, 30,000-seat soccer stadium there. So I could absolutely mm-hmm. see what you're talking about regarding the Cleveland Browns heading there to Los Angeles. Hey, we really appreciate the time, Ken, on a Wednesday. you spending some with us. You can catch him. He's the host of SportsX Radio over on KDWN, 8 to 10 p.m. weekdays. Tremendous job there. Also follow him on Twitter at Ken Thompson. Ken Thompson joining us. Ken, we appreciate the time. Thanks. No problem. Appreciate you, Chris. God bless. Have a great day, and best to T.C. Martin. The Aces better get that W in Phoenix tonight. Oh, you know it's going down right there in the, in the, in the land of the rising sun. Ken Thompson, and the, you know, the Aces faithful. We're all, we're all kind of nervous right now going into a game four, so appreciate Ken spending some time on his Wednesday. It is the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. On the way next, Jesse Merrick is going to join us. Outstanding sportscaster with News 3 here in Las Vegas. We're going to chop it up. Talk a little Raiders. Talk a little VGK. Talk a little bit about the Aces as well, too, as both Jesse and I have had a chance to cover this team in the playoffs and in the regular season, and we'll see what his opinions are going down. It's a Wednesday here. T.C. Martin Show coming your way live. We'll be back right after this.
TC Martin Show coming away live on a Wednesday here as we get ramped up. A lot of sports action across the board going down. We have Game 4 of the WNBA semifinals as the Las Vegas Aces are in Arizona to take on the Phoenix Mercury. Backs are up against it for this squad after two losses by double digits the last two games of this playoff. After getting the win in Game 1, a lot of optimism. And this is, look, let's go. Let's be flat. Let's be straight about it. In you know this postseason, we had big expectations for this Las Vegas Aces team, and it's been a tough go here in this series. A lot of offensive outbursts by the likes of Diana Taurasi and the rest of the Mercury. So the Aces really have to get it, kind of square things around, circle the wagons, use whatever adjectives you want to use regarding this team. But it's, it's going to be a tough go. Join us right now on the phone lines. He does a tremendous job with uh, News Three here in Las Vegas, the NBC affiliate. From a sports standpoint, himself along with Brian Salvin and the crew over there, outstanding. Jesse Merrick joining us now on the phone lines. Jesse, we appreciate the time on your hump day. What is going on, my friend? Hey, man, I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the kind words, Brian and I. You know, we try. We don't, we don't bat a thousand, but we try, you know? Oh, you, you, you guys do more than try. And especially, especially, i got to be honest, from a thread standpoint, right? Look, there are some, there are some quality dressed gentlemen and women in the sports media here in Vegas. We know who they are, whether it's the Willie Ramirez is across the board. Look, we get it. But you guys do a tremendous job on that front as well, too, not just with your information from a sports standpoint. It's, uh, it's, when, it comes to, when it comes to the dressing part of it, you guys are quality as well, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, look, I'll, I'll say we're not batting a 1,000 in, in our analysis and everything like that, but on the threads, we're definitely batting a 1,000. There's, there's no doubt about that. Oh, there's no <laughs> question, right, Jesse? And uh, look, uh, on the sports front, no shortage of stuff to, to banter over, my friend, as we start rolling into that time of the year, right, where it seems like everything is going on, right? We got the, you know, we're, we're on the midst of the NHL season facing off next Tuesday as the Knights get set to take on the Seattle Kraken. You got NBA training camps in full force. Obviously, the NFL and college football are going at it big time. And, of course, Major League Baseball playoffs, you know, just started yesterday. So there's just so much going down. And here in Las Vegas, from a playoff standpoint, you've got the Las Vegas Aces, right? Game four tonight in Arizona. Yourself and I, we've been covering this team throughout the regular season and into the playoffs. And big expectations, right, Jesse? Let's lay it out there. This is a team that was expected to absolutely contend for a WNBA title. And after game one, it was looking pretty solid. Then all of a sudden, Game 2 came around, and Diana Taurasi decided to just go nuts offensively and have a monster game, and then we saw what transpired in Game 3. Now, you have an Aces team that's up against it, going up a quality, going up against a quality team, and a very confident team right now in the Phoenix Mercury. It's going to be uh, tough sledding as we look ahead to uh, Game 4 tonight in Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, it really is. You, again, like you said, you, you kind of see that first game, you leave with some confidence, you're like, wow, okay, like the Aces got this. You know, obviously, you look at Phoenix coming through, kind of battling their way into this one, so you think maybe there's some fatigue factor in there. Then they get a little rest, and then they come out and just go off in game two. I mean, Tarasi and Griner combined for 62 points. That's unbelievable. Tarasi must have heard some people out there talking some mess. She was not happy. That's not a girl that you want to make mad because she went ballistic. And then in game two, it was Turner who really tore it up. Her and Griner then combined for 41 points, and Turner was guarding Asia and really shut her down. She went two for 14 from the field. I mean, that cannot happen with someone like Asia Wilson. I know there's nobody that's going to be harder on herself than her, but, uh, you know, that's, this is the kind of gut check time where you are back up against the wall. You know, throwing all the cliche cliches, like, you have to win this game, otherwise the season is done, and you have to look at it as a letdown because they didn't get back to the finals. You know, so I, I think, though, this team, you know, they always seem to play better, you know, with pressure, and that was something that Liz Cambage said. So I'm real curious to see how they come out tonight. I, I do not expect to see the same team that we've seen these last two games. And, of course, you mentioned Asia Wilson, 2 of 14 in the last ball game. Also, Kelsey Plum had a, had a tough go, too. She shot 2 for 10 from the field. So, when you have, look, when you're 4 of 24, right, between your two key offensive cogs, that's going to make it a tough run if you're the, the Las Vegas Aces going up against the likes of Phoenix in, in this matchup. No, it, it's so true. I mean, as a team, they shot 30% from the field. And they're not, like, you know, making it rain from three all the time. But they shot 14%. I mean, that was... You know, that's an atrocious shooting uh, shooting night right there. You know, that does not happen to this team. They're one of the top-scoring teams in the WNBA. You know, that's not something that you see very often from them. Real, real out of sorts, and I was blown away to see that because you expect, okay, you just got shellacked. You're going to come back now, and this is going to be something big. You know, and the one thing they kept saying after game two was, hey, you know, we're, we're not worried about it. It's one game. Like, we still put up points in game two, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, the offense just kind of dried up. So that's where you're like, uh-oh, and then also getting out rebounded 58 to 29. Like, 
that is unbelievable. But you also got to realize that like, 58 rebounds, that's not going to happen all the time. That's a WNBA playoff record. So you don't expect Phoenix to own the board that much. But it's still alarming because you don't want to go that cold, and then you also don't want to give up that many boards either. I'm intrigued to see how Bill Lambeer handles this type of situation, right? Because we know with, with, with Lambeer, look, he's a guy who played in the NBA. He's you know, played at the highest level. He's won championships. He's been in adverse situations where you know, he's been in a situation where he's been up against it. And you know, he's had to either motivate himself or motivate his teams. He's obviously you know, got a tremendous amount of experience as a coach in the WNBA. It's going to be interesting, right, Jesse, to see how he handles this regarding Asia Wilson, you know, trying to get her head in the right space. And Asia, you, like you said, her. Asia herself is her, her toughest critic, but it, it is kind of strange how this has all worked out for her because we saw the press conference after Game 2 where she was flat out honest about it, saying, look, there's no positives coming out of this game. And then you have a scenario where she's the, look, she's the reigning WNBA MVP. She's a, one of the key cogs on this team. You expect her to perform big time, and then you see what transpires in Game 3. It, it has to be a little bit concerning for the Aces faithful out there. Oh, I mean, 100%, you know, because that's someone you look to lean on, especially given the fact that Liz is still making her way back from COVID, you know, and, and that's something that's obviously been tough for her. You know, we had her on sports night. Brian was talking to her, uh, I believe, uh, right before the playoffs started. And, you know, she was saying how, you know, how different things are, you know, when you get to a series, you know, that she was talking about, uh, what was it, in 2019 when they were playing in the playoffs, making their run there. That, like she said, she was dead throughout the playoffs, you know, really grinding. Like her legs were just done because it is different playing in a series. So imagine going, and that was when she was 100% healthy, had been going through the whole year, all that stuff. Imagine going through COVID and then having that hit. And then on the flip side with Asia, you know, think about it. Like, she played half a season in the WNBA, then went overseas, went to the Olympics, won a gold medal, came back, had to get ready to go again, and then you dive back into the, what, like two weeks and the playoff starts. I mean, it's a grind, and I don't want to make excuses and say maybe they're kind of wearing down a bit, but it, it, it would look that way looking at it purely based off of the stats. But having said that, no matter how you're feeling, no matter what it is, like for one game, season on the line, there's not so much really you have to say as a coach, I'd imagine, to just be like, hey, look, if we don't win, the season is over. So I'd imagine they'll be locked in. You know, this is a team that we've seen that from. You know, slow starts have kind of plagued them. And, you know, I hate to use the word immaturity because I don't think that's really what it is, but that's kind of what it seems like at times. You know, I think in this situation, there's no way that you can avoid it, that you're just like, hey, look, we've got to come out. Otherwise, we're going home, season's over, and this is a letdown. So, like, I think they're going to come correct into this game and be locked in. And, and this one, I think, will probably be the best game of the series. It's the T.C. Martin Show here on a Wednesday. Jesse Merrick joining us, part of the sports team over at News 3 here in Las Vegas. Follow him at Jesse News 3 LV on Twitter. Uh, also, uh, uh, wide receiver, my friend, right? APU football. <laughs> oh, uh, 8 and 12, baby. Oh, 8 through the 12. I love it. Uh, Jesse Merrick joining us. Talk some football. How about the Raiders? Obviously, a situation in Los Angeles that so was intriguing, to say the least, on Monday night as you had the uh, Raider Nation out in force on a Monday night game across the board against the Chargers, but the result wasn't great for Las Vegas as they go down to a quality Chargers team. It's got to be fun covering this team every day, right, Jesse, because you have the likes of John Gruden and the personalities over there. But uh, your, your thoughts on what went down Monday night and uh, the Raiders as they get set to take on the Chicago Bears coming up this Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it is a blast covering this team. The personalities that they have, you know, they're awesome. You get to see some of these younger guys kind of start to come into their own as well. And then obviously just first year with fans in Vegas. I mean, that just, you know, last year kind of just felt like it was a whatever year because fans weren't there. Now, like, it's for real, and so it's been fun. But, but yeah, that game in L.A., man, that, it was crazy to see Raider Nation kick it over. Obviously, we all knew that was going to happen, but to actually see it, that's got to be demoralizing if you're a Chargers fan, if you're a member of the Chargers. But then they come out to win the game, obviously. And, look. We've seen the slow starts in pretty much all these games here this year. It was only a matter of time until it caught up to them. You know, the things you can point to is what they did in the second half in terms of only allowing seven points to the Chargers' offense in the second half and then coming back and making it a game. You know, then it was, again, at the end of the day, like it's your O-line. And that was one thing that we all had a question mark about leading into the year. And they've had some injuries there in an area that was already a question mark. So, like, it's just kind of those warts started to really show in this game against, you know, an elite edge rusher and a guy like Bosa who – had a little something to say about Derek Carr, and obviously he felt a certain kind of way about it as well. But the, the, fact, the fact of the matter is the O-line is just not where it needs to be. And, again, these are guys that are working with a bit of a patchwork thing. But your guys, you know, at center and at right tackle, Andre James and Alex Leatherwood, they gave up eight pressures between the two of them. Like, that just can't happen. You know, you got to figure it out. Obviously, he's a rookie Leatherwood at right tackle. And he's, again, going up against Bosa, so cut him a break. But – 
this can't happen with consistency that it has happened because, I, as you can see, it's going to ruin things offensively for this team. And you mentioned Derek Carr, and he had some comments today, and you actually tweeted them out regarding you know his thoughts with the, as far as the offensive line is concerned, and also as far as like you know handling a loss, right, and the way that they're going to deal with it, and the kind of process that they take as they try to move forward. And look, you, you want to turn the page, right, because you're taking on Chicago coming up this weekend, and and the Bears are no pushover, right? I mean, defensively especially. So uh, it was interesting what Derek had to say, right, Jesse, as far as the approach moving forward. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, he said it. He's like, yeah, it kind of pissed him off. And, you know, if I'm Derek Carr, that's, or if I'm a fan of the team, whoever, I think, you know, being a little mad is a good thing. You know, play with that chip on your shoulder. Get it back on there. You know, as much as you don't want to see the team lose a game, you know, sometimes a loss can be the best thing, and it can make you really look in the mirror, kind of hit that reset button and get going. And it is a short week. Again, you mentioned against the Bears team that's got a good defense. You know, they've got a, an edge rusher that Raiders fans and Coach Gruden know all about in Khalil Mack. You know who's going to come in here, and you know he's going to have a chip on his shoulder, and, and he's going to see what teams have managed to do to this O-line, and specifically what you know uh, Joey Bosa and this Chargers defense did to that O-line, and he's got to be licking his chops a bit. But at the end of the day, too, also you look at offensively for the Bears. You know, they got Justin Fields, new QB1 in there. He looked better in his second start, but at the end of the day, he's still a rook. You know, and what this Raiders defense has done and what they've looked like throughout the year and the way they've harassed quarterbacks, I think it's going to be fun to kind of watch both of these pass rushes go against these offensive lines and then kind of see what happens there. And, hey, a key part of that pass rush, right, is absolutely Max Crosby. I've always had you know, love for Max being a, you know, being a Michigan guy myself, and you know, he, he's also a guy from uh, my neck of the woods. But uh, he's absolutely, without question, I think, become the emotional leader, right, of that defense. And he's always, had, he's always great for a quote as well, too, as, as, you, as you were able to point out today as well. Look, th- when it comes to Max Crosby and this defense, they have absolutely improved, right? This is a defense that is not what it was a year ago. And uh, from, pr- from a productive standpoint – as well as just from a, from a, an overall mental standpoint, right? I mean, this is just a different approach that we're looking at from the silver and black on the defensive side of the ball, right, Jesse? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, all offseason, all last year, you know, the talk was, hey, if this team can just get defense that's like middle of the road, they're going to be okay. If they can generate a little bit of a pass rush, they're going to be okay because they put up points on offense. You know, they do things so well on the offensive side of the ball. And then what we've seen this year, it's like, whoa, what the heck happened? Like, I mean, it was a total 180, this defense is legit. This defensive line is legit. You've got Max Crosby, like you mentioned. You know, he is 100% the emotional leader and just regular leader of this team, of this defense. You know, I, I love covering this guy more than anything else. He's obviously got the work ethic. You know, he was that guy last year when he had COVID in his backyard, beating up the palm trees, running D-line drills against those things to, like, stay in it, you know. He, he is a lot of fun to cover. And he had five pressures in the game the other night. You know, the sacks aren't necessarily always there for him, but that guy is making an impact every single play of these games. He's got a motor that's unbelievable. And the thing that's also crazy, I was talking to Eddie Pascal from the Raiders about it uh, when we had him on sports night this week. And we were saying, you know, we talked so much about Max and it is, isn't it wild that they bring in unique Ngakwe and he's played very well too, but he almost, you know, respectfully seems like an afterthought because of how good Max Crosby has come back. So it's been incredible to see what that kid has done, you know, in his, uh, his what third year in the league now, as he continues that maturation process and really establishes himself as one of the better edge rushers in this league. Jesse Merrick joining us here live from NBC News 3, the sports department, as we get uh, rolling here. Let's jump on the ice, Jesse. Of course, uh, preseason action is starting to wrap up. We're just, minute, we're just a matter of uh, you know, days away from the, when they drop the puck for real here with the uh, Vegas Golden Knights and the Seattle Kraken. But last night, no shortage of goals, to say the least, up at Ball <laughs> Arena in, uh, in Colorado as uh, the Golden Knights get a, a win over the Avalanche in preseason action. And what's been great right about this preseason, Jesse, is, is seeing the, the combination. Uh, look, we get it when veterans uh, are in preseason. It's about getting, you know, getting yourself right, getting set for the for the regular season. But what we love to see, right? We love to see the young guys, whether it's Peyton Krebs, whether it's Keegan Colasar, be be able to kind of you know show their wares, right? And get and get an opportunity to break through that lineup. And uh, we were there was no shortage of that last night up there in Colorado against the Avalanche. Yeah, they dropped a touchdown on him. You know, that was that was pretty cool. And uh, Peyton Krebs, I believe, had, what, a four-point night? You know, he's a guy that, you know, came in with a lot of hype, and he's succeeded at every step kind of along the way since he's been in this organization with the Golden Knights. And, you know, he was the kid that we kind of got robbed of seeing what he could do last year in the playoffs because he, he broke the jaw and everything. But, uh, you know, he, he's that guy that everyone talks about, like, you know, why is he on his years? He's 20 years old. They all say, and even for me when I've talked to him, you know, he's already like a seasoned vet, you know. So it's really fun to watch that kid. He's the guy that everyone is rooting for. With him, you know, again, great to see him get those numbers last night. It's just kind of like a weird situation. You're like, okay, 
you know, he's kind of battling for that spot on the fourth line there because the way things kind of match up, you get an idea of what these top three are going to look like, the top three lines will look like. So really on that fourth line, you're probably looking at Carrier, Waugh, and Kolasar. Okay, does Krebs maybe work his way in there with some injuries and things like that? That's where you start to bring it in. But then it's like you also kind of have to ask yourself the question is, like, his development. Is it going to be better working on a fourth line, a checking line in the NHL, or getting, you know, top minutes with the top line in the AHL? Is that going to help him grow his game more? And I think that's the discussion the team is having there. And also, too, you look at it on the flip side with Polisar, a guy that, you know, got on the board again last night. We saw how many times last year was just, like, right there, almost scoring, coming up just short. But him having a great camp thus far, He's a guy that I think DeBoer really likes and a guy that, you know, DeBoer and the whole staff kind of think maybe he's going to take that next step. So I think he's locked himself into a role here on the fourth line, and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch as well. And it's going to be interesting to see how this whole, you know, situation with Robin Leonard, right, and the NHL, the comments he made regarding yeah. medical malpractice, and see if, look, do, do you anticipate that this causes any type of issue as far as the team on the ice or in the locker room? It seems it seems to me, look, especially from the player's standpoint, uh, the, rest of the you know, rest of his teammates, that's not really going to be an issue. Yeah, I don't think it is at all, and I think it was a really smart – I mean, one, I respect the heck out of Leonard for doing it and speaking out. Like, right. I love the fact that this guy says what's on his mind and isn't worried about it. You know, that's, that's a joy to cover. So many times guys won't talk about certain things. His honesty is great. And seeing that he's willing to fight for things, you know, it's cool, and it's nice to see him have the security to where he feels like he can do that, you know, and he gets the attention of the league. But having said that, I think maybe it was a measured thing that he did to get it done in the preseason before the season starts. So, like, I mean, to be honest, I'd be shocked if a week from now, you know, if we're talking about it being a distraction because I think, hey, he got the league's attention. They're going to be working with him and, you know, try and work something out to make things better. So I think it was a smart move by him to do it in the preseason where, yeah, we can talk about it now. But come a week from now, we're going to be talking about that game against the Kraken and what this team is going to do. So I don't see that spilling over. And I think that was a smart move by him to do it when he did. Uh, you know, and, and kind of get it under the rug and be like, hey, look, I got you guys' attention. Let's fix this thing now. A guy that we love to watch. He's a part of the sports team over there at News 3 Las Vegas, the NBC affiliate. Jesse Merrick joining us here on the T.C. Martin Show on a Wednesday. Jesse, we really appreciate you spending some time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, hey, we'll see if the Aces can get it done tonight and uh, extend this season when it comes to the WNBA playoffs, my friend. For sure, brother. I hope they can. I'm not ready to see basketball season end just yet. I want to see at least one more game back in the house. So we'll see how it goes. And I might, I might hit you up with uh, one of my picks, my friend, tonight, so that uh, you can go, you can go on the other side of it and make a little coin. <laughs> I bet you can do it. Yeah. Let, let's, hope, <laughs> let's hope you're betting on Phoenix tonight. Huh? Let, let, I bet you bet on Phoenix just so that it works out for everyone out here in Vegas. You know the deal. All the Vegas faithful are just hoping that that's the case, so that uh, you know, er, then then everybody wins in that type of scenario. But Jesse, we appreciate your time. That have a great day. All right. For sure, brother. You too. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Jesse. Jesse Merrick from NBC News 3 here in Las Vegas. Guy, guy does a great job. Always see him around town when it comes to uh, coverage across the board, whether it's UNLV, obviously VGK, Raiders, and the Las Vegas Aces, and more. So it's the T.C. Martin Show coming your way live on a Wednesday. Almost one hour in the books here. we got another hour to come as we'll be diving much more into some college football as well, too, as along with the NFL, what our predictions are coming up. Hey, week five, it kicks off tomorrow night with a quality matchup. Rams-Seahawks tomorrow night for Thursday night football. So we certainly have a lot to banter about. My name is Chris Wynn. I'm in for T.C. Martin today on your Wednesday. Much more to come on the way next. Stay with us, everybody.